0: Family Secrets is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. You may have noticed that many of the guests on Family Secrets are writers, those who have given form and voice to their secrets. That's why I'm so thrilled to be sponsored by Audible. Family Secrets listeners can get one audiobook of their choosing, including bestsellers and new releases and access to Audible's all-new Plus catalog, free with a 30-day trial. Visit audible.com slash Danny or text Danny to 500 500 to get started. Family Secrets
1: is a production of iHeartRadio. There is a question mark, almost lost in a sea of names, on the walls of an old synagogue in Prague. Visitors hush children as they pass through each chamber of the Pinkas Memorial. It is hard not to be overwhelmed by the dizzying display of black and red letters. They memorialize 77,297 individuals. Each was a resident of the Czech districts of Bohemia and Moravia during the war. All were victims of the Nazis. Next to every name is stenciled the date of birth. And next to each date of birth neatly sits the date of death. One entry bears the name of my father Stanislav Neumann, born on February 9, 1921. It is different. Unlike the others on the wall, it has no date of death. Instead, carefully calligraphed, there's an incongruous and bald black question mark. I visited the memorial in 1997 as a tourist, unaware of any link with the synagogue. Scanning across the top wall to my right as I descended the steps into the first chamber, I was astounded to see my father's name. He was then very much alive, settled, and working in Caracas. And yet the bold question mark was there, both jarring and oddly opposite. This was the first time I had seen the query inked on the wall, but questions about my father had emerged long before. My quest for answer started when I was just a little girl, living across an ocean and a sea in a very different world.
0: That's Ariana Neumann, a writer and mother of three, who currently lives with her family in London. Ariana's first book, When Time Stopped, a memoir of my father's war and what remains, is just out, and it centers on an extraordinary secret held tightly at the very core of her father's life, one he never spoke of while he was living. Ariana, as the sole heir to a vanished world, painstakingly brings an entire lost family to life. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others— and the secrets we keep from ourselves.
1: So I grew up in Venezuela of the 70s and 80s, which is completely different, of course, from the Venezuela today. It was then a place filled with promise and with light. There were theaters being built, museums, schools, airports, roads. It was really a place of potential. It was seen as the capital of South America. Really bustling and vibrant, and of course the nature there is absolutely beautiful. And in this wonderful surroundings, in this wonderful country, was my father, and he was involved in everything. He had industries, he had newspapers, he was involved in museums, he was setting up schools, and yeah, set up a design institute and a, a university to study business. He was involved in charities, so he was a really vibrant engaged person, and I lived in this beautiful house in the center of Caracas with stunning gardens, and it was just a place filled with colors and joys, and, you know, the gardens were lush, and there were parrots and sloths, and it was really a pretty magical place.
0: Tell me more about life with your parents. Maybe describe your mother a little bit to me as well.
1: She was quite... An old father. My mother was 20 years younger, and she was just stunningly beautiful. Um, And she was also involved in the arts. And as I grew up, she was involved in the Ministry of Culture, and then started a ballet company. So you know, my house was just filled with interesting people. It was filled with politicians, with artists, with ballet dancers, and there was a constant flux of you know, of people, of ideas. You just felt that you were in the center of it all. And my parents were very much in love with each other. Frankly, people seemed to be just in love with them. People were just flowing into this house and, and surrounding them all the time. My parents were quite social. They weren't super involved in my upbringing in the way that we're involved in children's upbringing now. So they weren't sort of checking on my homework and taking me to school and things like that. But I was very much part of their world and part of their, you know, I just milled about these gardens and sat around with these people and attended the sort of drinks parties that they gave. And, and, you know, whenever they were in meetings, I just sat there on my mother's lap and was part of it, really.
0: Ariana was unfazed by her unusual and in many ways magical childhood. What she really wanted, what was most interesting to her, was to have a mystery to solve. She sort of took over the family's kennel. The Neumanns had really large dogs, Great Danes and Rottweilers, so it was a big kennel, and Ariana would sit in it on a crate, and she turned it into a library of sorts. A favorite, unsurprisingly, was Nancy Drew. Ariana was an only child, quite isolated in many ways. I so relate to this, the dreamy only child who spends a lot of time reading and solving mysteries. She even starts a detective club with a cousin and some friends called the Mysterious Boot Club. Ariana, what do you think that was about? I was so taken by that in your book, the idea that you wanted to be a detective um, as a child and that you created this Mysterious Boot Club and, of course— Hindsight is 2020, 20, but what was the sense you had that there were mysteries to be solved?
1: I just thought, why wouldn't everyone want to solve mysteries? And what I realized now is that I obviously sensed that there was a mystery there, that there were things that were obviously not being told to me, and my father really was at the center of this mystery.
0: The children slash detectives who were members of the mysterious boot club kept an eye on Ariana's father.
1: He never, ever spoke about feelings. He was always talking about ideas and concepts and, you know, solving puzzles, or um, he was repairing watches. He was absolutely obsessed by this watch connection that he had. And it wasn't the normal sort of obsession with punctuality and time that, you know, a successful man would have because he wants to maximize his time in order to be you know, more efficient. It was a real obsession. And at the same time, I think he found solace there. I think there was a therapy to it. But whenever he was with his watches, he would lock himself in a room and a room that no one else had keys to and that was completely dark and windowless. And he would just spend hours there, as far as I could tell, just observing mechanisms and making sure that these watches worked. He was absolutely methodical and obsessed with order. So if you looked at his record collection, you know, it was all aligned by category of music, by composers. They all had different little colors and they all had to be absolutely perfect. He had all these quirks and all these obsessions. And then one of these afternoons, one of my cousins reported that he had seen my father move a box and that my father had moved a box from that room at the back of the house where he kept his watches and what he repaired his watches, and that he had moved that box in a slightly odd manner. There was something peculiar about the way he carried the box, and he carried it into this room, which was sort of the library in her house. And my cousin reported that, you know, there was obviously something precious in the box. It must be, maybe it was sort of jeweled watches or something. I waited for everyone to go, and I went and I found this box. And when I opened it, I was quite disillusioned there was actually no treasure, no jewel of watches, but just some old papers. And one of the old papers I found was terrifying because it was a photograph of my father as a young man and I recognized him, he had these very distinct eyes, um, so I knew it was him. But right underneath this picture of my father was a stamp of Hitler. And I was pretty young, but old enough to know that he was obviously not a good guy. And then it was dated in 1943, it said Berlin, and that made no sense because I knew my father actually was a Czech immigrant, and I knew that he had come from Prague. And then the name was someone else's name. It was not Hans Neumann. That obviously completely threw me. And what I did that afternoon is I ran to my mother and I said he's an imposter. And I think that is also very telling because I don't think if my children found an ID card with my husband's photograph with someone else's name, the reaction would not be to say, this man's an imposter. So I think that speaks to the fact that there was obviously some mystery there and that I was aware of it, that there was something that my father was not telling me, possibly not telling others. That was probably the first clue. And when I saw that, all these other moments, all of a sudden became relevant. All these silences, or you know, there were. Whenever you spoke to my father, um, he was incredibly engaged. But if you asked him about the past, if you asked him about Prague, if you asked him about his family, there would be an all- tiny minute awkward silence, and then he'd move the conversation swiftly on. He just absolutely refused to speak about the past or about his family. And then there were the nightmares. So when I was a child, I slept down the corridor from my parents and there were a bunch of nights where I was just woken up by these horrific screams. And it was my father. and My father screaming in, in a language that I didn't understand. And I just remember sort of waking up terrified and, and finding my father covered in sweat and my mother trying to sort of calm him down. You know, that was all obviously also unusual. Why would a man who was so successful, so seemingly happy, so carefree, wake up screaming in the night.
0: What did your mother say when you first found the contents of the box and you found this strange document and said, Dad's an imposter? What was her response to that?
1: My mother, she's very open and very soothing. And she basically just said, don't worry too much about this. I'm not worried about it. You shouldn't worry about it. And that was sort of the general theme whenever I asked. Having said that, I could have never asked my father outright because the very few times that I did, the response was just so overwhelmingly emotional and awful that I just couldn't.
0: Ariana tucks this information, or non-information, away in that hidden place where we put things we don't yet comprehend. She heads to the States for college, and at Tufts University, she's approached on the first day of orientation for international students by a freshman from Mexico, a guy who actually delivers the line, hey, we should meet up because we're both good-looking, we're both Latin American, and we're both Jewish. To which Ariana comes back with the perfect rejoinder, the kind of thing you usually think of after the fact. She says, listen, you're not good-looking and I'm not Jewish. But the comment stays with her. It's the first time anyone has ever used the word Jewish in reference to Ariana. Venezuela was such a melting pot culture back then that the Neumans were surrounded by people of every religion and background, but no one was ever categorized in terms of their religion. Not until Ariana's new friend decided to point it out based simply on her surname, Neumann, a Jewish name.
1: I called my father a couple of days later and I called him up and I said, Papi, this Mexican kid just came up to me and said I was Jewish. And he just went silent. You have to understand that the man was constantly talking and, you know, he was always animated and, you know, silence was an unusual thing unless he was preparing his watches or writing or reading. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, he said, we have Jewish blood. And His voice started to shake. And he said, please, don't you ever use that term with me. That is what the Nazis said about us. And he just took his hand
0: up. In your book, you write, there were hints before. Peppered across my memories were moments that jarred instances of disquiet. The cracks had been there all along. You know, I think with Family Secrets, when we discover something is as important as what we discover. When we're ready or not ready to discover something can really alter and affect the way that we then contend with or metabolize it.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And I realize, I mean, you have to be ready to do these things and to absorb.
0: We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. Family Secrets is sponsored by Audible. As communities around the world confront new challenges, including social distancing and school closures, many of us are looking for new ways to relax and feel connected to the world, to ourselves, to one another. Whether that means getting lost in a historical story, a memoir, a work of provocative nonfiction, or a juicy celebrity biography, I know that stories help. Stories pierce our solitude and make us feel less alone. Audiobooks are such an intimate form. It's why I love them. We can just close our eyes, take a break from Zoom, and get swept away. I listen to Audible originals, audiobooks, guided wellness programs, even comedy, as I'm walking my dog or folding my laundry, or behind the wheel of my car. Thousands of titles right at our fingertips. That's such a gift. At any time, but particularly during these times. Start your 30-day trial with Audible and get one audiobook Plus, access to the all-new Plus Catalog for free by visiting audible.com Danny or by texting Danny to 500-500. Ariana's first child, a son, has just been born when her father dies after an extended illness in September of 2001. Never does Hans Neumann break his silence about his past. There is no late in life unburdening to his only daughter. But what does happen is even more remarkable than a lifetime of silence. He leaves Ariana the box. Yes, the box. The very one she snooped through once as founding member of the mysterious boot club. She hasn't seen it since. And now the box and the history it will yield is hers. In death... Hans is giving Ariana permission — no, more than permission. This is an exhortation to piece together and investigate their lost family history. But she isn't ready. How can she be? She's just embarked on the most optimistic adventure of building her own family.
1: As you know, when you start you know, a wonderful relationship with someone and you decide that you're going to bring children into this world, you have to be in a particular frame of mind. You're happy with your present. You're looking into the future with excitement. So to turn around and, and, and delve into a past, which I then thought was going to be just filled with horror and darkness, I just thought I couldn't handle. I just couldn't read the letters and then go back and you know read fairy tales for my children at night and do the voices for the very hungry caterpillar. It wasn't compatible. So it wasn't until they grew up a little bit more. You know, I, I did little by little. I had the letters translated. And every so often, you know, when sort of the kids were at school and nursery and my husband was at work and I just felt brave, I would dip into one of the letters.
0: Ariana keeps the box in an antique contraption that looks like three wooden steps, like the beginning of a staircase to nowhere. The contraption is in her office where she writes. But inside, there's a hidden compartment, The steps lift, and the lid lifts up, and no one would ever know. In fact, you yourself could forget that anything was hidden away there. Years go by, during which Ariana has two more children. Eventually, she feels ready to tackle the contents of the box inside the steps. She begins to research, send material for transcription from Czech into English. And slowly, as she's able to gather more and more information she begins to piece together a portrait of the lives of a large extended family in Czechoslovakia in the late 1930s. The family owned a paint and lacquer business called Montana, with factories in Prague and in southeastern Czechoslovakia. They were a middle-class Jewish family, assimilated, not particularly religious. So what I discovered through
1: the letters was just, you know, huge, vibrant, happy, well, happy trying to survive in what was a world that was becoming more anti-Semitic, maybe. There were postcards of my grandparents in the South France in 1936, and my grandfather in a bathing suit, smiling. It's remarkable to me that they could still find moments of joy, in it, because in 1936, certainly in Prague, and most definitely in Germany, it, you know, Jews did not feel safe, and a lot of them had already started to emigrate. They were very much part of a Jewish community, and they also had friends who weren't Jewish. And, you know, they managed to soldier on until 1938. It's remarkable to me because someone said, why did they not rebel? Why did your father not rebel? Why did they not rebel against this? And I said, because it's very difficult to rebel against these laws, which are so minute. that the aggregation of all of them, and it's sort of how bullies and totalitarian regimes work. It's just that gradual dehumanization. So it's very interesting for me to have these letters, which span from actually the 20s through the 30s, up until 1942, well, and then it from the camps until 1944, because you really see how effectively my family was dehumanized. Well, I say that, and at the same time, I don't think that's really Accurate because they were dehumanized, but yet managed to find humanity in it, even in, in the concentration camp, and moments of joy, and moments of happiness, and moments of just being human. But they were certainly dehumanized in the eyes of the others. So it was basically my father, his older brother, my grandfather, and my grandmother. And my father turned 18 in 1939, so the year that. Uh, Hitler invaded uh, Czechoslovakia, and his older brother was three years older. His older brother was married to a woman who was a Gentile, so she was not Jewish, and that protected him from being transported. My grandparents and my father were not protected by anything, and um, in 1942, in May 1942, a transport letter arrived saying that they all had to report to into the train station and be transported to stuff My grandfather started pulling every possible string that he could and trying to find every excuse that he could so that they wouldn't be transported. And they were successful in as far as they managed to save my grandfather and my father from the transport, from that transport. So my grandmother was sent alone. She was sent alone with two of her brothers. My grandfather is then deported in November 42. They're both sending letters out saying, we're okay, don't worry about us, but whatever you do, don't get sent here. You know, do whatever you can. Keep safe, but don't come here. So my father gets a deportation letter in March 43. And by then, there's there's no strings they can pull. There's no way that he's gonna be saved from this. He just decides to hide.
0: With the help of the manager of the paint factory, his brother and his brother's wife, who's a non-Jew, Hans is hidden in the paint factory. They build a fake wall and create a tiny little room. He's hidden there during the day when the paint factory is in business. And for two months, Ariana's father remains very still, aware always that he's in danger. He's on the Gestapo's wanted list. And one of the places the Gestapo would undoubtedly come looking for him is in his family's factory. Luckily, amazingly, the Gestapo don't show up. Hans has just finished a degree in chemistry school, and he has a best friend called Fennec. Fennec isn't Jewish, and he works for the Nazis in Berlin at a paint factory. So after Hans has been hiding for a couple of months, Fennec comes to him one night and says, just in passing, oh, we have so much work in Berlin, we're so understaffed, and there's no one capable in Berlin to do this job. And Fennec says, if only you could be there with me.
1: And, you know, it's one of those sort of moments where my father just says, that's it, that's what I have to do. And I traced Fennec's son, who told me this beautiful story about how they were sitting there, in, you know, with one candle lit in this little room because they didn't want to alert the neighbors to their presence. And there's a check saying that says the darkest shadow is just beneath the candle. So if you want to hide, you don't hide around the candle where the light will give you up. You hide in the center of it all where no one is going to look for you and where the shadow is the darkest. So the darkest shadow is beneath the candle. The center of it all, where the shadow is the darkest, is Berlin. So it's completely crazy. and <laughs> Probably quite brilliant, but completely insane. And I think it's the kind of thing that, that you wouldn't do. I, I, I certainly wouldn't do. You wouldn't do if you had a family. But, you know, if you're 22 and you know the alternative is death, and you just figure, what do I have to lose? They create this fake identity, and they get him a fake ID. Um, They doctor the fake ID, and Deneck then incredibly bravely manages. He goes back to Berlin, gets permission to come back to Prague, and my father, with Deneck's passport and the false ID in Jan Sebastian's name, which is a name that they completely about Jan Sebesta didn't exist, um, decides to get on the midnight train from Prague to Berlin in May 1943, and manages to, against all odds, to cross the border, to get into Berlin, and without any proper permits, manages to find a job at this paint factory that Stanek was working in, and to live for two years pretending to be Jan Sebesta, just a normal Czech guy, not Jewish, who is a chemist and who's interested in paints, and he works for the factory that is developing lacquer. and he does that until 1945. That's how he survives
0: the war. Within the horrors of the Holocaust, the perishing of almost an entire family, the decimation of millions, here is luck. Hans is lucky. He cheats capture and certain death not once, not twice, but multiple times. I find myself thinking of Ariana, who would never have been born if Hans's story hadn't played out exactly as it did. Everything that never would have happened. Her father's extraordinary success and her parents' love story. And her three children, now growing up in London. Her children never met her father, the watch repairer. Until recently, she had never told them of his watches or his obsessive timekeeping. And yet, what do we inherit? What is passed down? And how does it shape us? Hans tried all his life to box up his traumatic experiences. And in certain ways, he succeeded, I suppose. But trauma will have its way with us eventually. It's like an invisible, multi-headed, mystical hydra. And those heads will appear, perhaps not in the secret keeper's life, but in the generations to follow. Ariana's children don't believe this, by the way she and they have heated debates on the subject. They believe that we each decide and shape who we are, that unspoken trauma and lessons do not leave their trace. Ariana does not entirely agree with them. As she writes in her memoir, of course we have control over our identity, but it is not absolute. What is sort of
1: remarkable to me, really, is that my son in particular reminds me a lot uh, a lot of my fathers he stands the same way he's very black and white and very absolute and it might might be because he just turned 18 and, um, and he's an opinionated teenager but the other thing that he has is that he's obsessed with time which is interesting to me because my father's obsession with time was obviously something that he wasn't born with what my children have inherited from him in addition to many other things is this obsession with time which have to have been a product of the trauma. So these genes that I have passed on to them, that he has passed on through me to them, are, are genes that are morphed or changed by the trauma that he lived through, because he certainly wasn't like that Because <laughs> he was 16, 17, 18. And yet my son, who is the age that my father was before the war, is very much how my father was
0: Afterward. Ariana's meticulously researched family history strikes me as the deepest kind of devotion. Not religious devotion, but devotion to all that was lost. The father she never knew, the grandparents she never knew, the grandparents her children have never known, the extended family that perished in the Nazi death camps. She can't bring them back. Not exactly. But she can offer us an enduring glimpse of their vanished world.
1: As I started piecing it together and doing family tree letters, a lot of them dealing, describing this man who, you know, called Hans, who I couldn't recognize as my father. who's was this young man who, you know, wanted to be a poet, and wrote really bad poetry. He was a complete shambles. He arrived late for dinner. He was always falling off his bike. He was not punctual. He was He didn't want to study. He was throwing stink bombs at the Nazis in 1939. You know, it was not at all the sort of very controlled man that I had met. So it was wonderful, really, that I I got to meet my father as a young man. And a young man that obviously had pretty much disappeared after the war and, and pretty much disappeared by the time I came around.
0: In a way, you really end up with two different relationships with your father. You know, over the course of your life thus far, you have the relationship with your father when he was living, in which his secret was closely held and not on the table for any kind of conversation. And then you have the relationship with your father and his history and your whole family's history after he passes away.
1: That is possibly the biggest joy of having done this research. I think When you lose a parent, you never really fully lose a parent because they're with you. They remain in your heart. They remain genetically with you. But the search has been a way of keeping him with me still, and it's been rather marvelous.
0: Here's Ariana reading one last brief passage from When Time Stopped.
1: Sometimes I lose my bearings. I forget that time has passed. And for that briefest moment, I want to rush again to my father. I want to tear along the checkered floor of the hall to the long windowless room and, as he raises his visor and looks up from his watches, explain that I finally solved the puzzle. I have to let him know that I found the boy he was, the unfortunate boy, and that I love him. I love that boy just as much as I respect the man he became. I long to tell my father that I strolled around the garden of his house in Libchice and wrote our book on a desk crafted by the person who now lives there. I need to reassure him that there are no more questions. I want to wrap my arms around him, place my head on his heart, and as the sounds of the mechanisms fade, in the stillness, whisper that I understand.
0: I want to thank Ariana Neumann for taking the time to share her story with us. For more on Ariana's debut book, When Time Stopped, A Memoir of My Father's War and What Remains, visit ArianaNeumann.com. That's A R I A N A N E U M A N -N N.com. Family Secrets is an iHeartMedia production. Dylan Fagan is the supervising producer and Julie Douglas and Beth-Ann Macaluso are the executive producers. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, you can get in touch with us at listenermail at familysecretspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Danny Writer and Facebook at Family Secrets Pod and Twitter at Pod. For more about my book, Inheritance, visit dannyshapiro.com.
1: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to
0: your favorite shows. Family Secrets is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. You may have noticed that many of the guests on Family Secrets are writers, those who have given form and voice to their secrets. That's why I'm so thrilled to be sponsored by Audible. Family Secrets listeners can get one audiobook of their choosing— including bestsellers and new releases and access to Audible's all-new Plus catalog, free with a 30-day trial. Visit audible.com Danny or text Danny to 500-500 to get started.